0: cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply
1: there's three sides to every story there's my side your side and the truth
0: which kelly are you edward
1: people call me Ned. i
0: photograph what my conscience asks me to
1: Len, they want to have him in the movie Mad max 2 it's my kind of movie Shut up!
0: Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Serge. Oh, he's
1: disabled, I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do their hip-hop anymore. G'day and welcome to The Curb, the podcast that's all about culture from all around the world. My name is Andrew Pearce and this podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, I catch up with director Joshua Belenfonte, whose film, The World's Best Film, is screening via the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and Perth's Revelation Film Festival, the Couched Online Festival, which you can head over to both their websites to check this film out, mdff.org.au and revelationfilmfest.org. This is a really wonderful documentary that celebrates the uh, positive aspects of the world that we need just a little bit more off and I think in this discussion which I really enjoyed with Josh uh, we really dig into what it means to uh, live a life and decide what you want to do as a person and how you come to those decisions too and certainly we touch on the creation of this documentary and how it came about but if for listeners, uh, because it's it's not a major part of the documentary, but it is the instigating aspect of what kicks off the documentary. Josh was given a really terrible diagnosis that meant that he would not be around for much longer. And when that diagnosis changed, it gave him a renewed energy and uh, vitality in life, and decided he decided to head out into the world and find out uh, the people who are doing the world's best thing. So they might be the world's best taxi driver or the world's best uh, toilet tourist uh, operator who uh, takes people around London and uh, shows them the most curious and interesting and historical toilets in London. There is a whole bunch of really interesting characters in this film and we talk about that here and, and the importance of that as well. Uh, this is a really, really wonderful conversation and it's its not often that um, you know I, I talk to somebody and uh, have a bit of myself reflected back and, and learn something about myself. And at the end of this one, I, I certainly felt that I learned something about myself too. Uh, and I hope that you learned something about yourself as well. Let's listen to the trailer for the world's best film and then we'll be back with that interview.
0: What does it mean to be the best at what you do? who decides you are the best. I studied to become a lawyer, even though I dreamt of making films. Growing up in an immigrant family, being the best meant studying to gain a respectable profession and make an honest living. But while I was studying, doctors discovered a tumour between my lungs and heart. Instantly, my priorities shifted and I was told that I might not have much time left. (laughs) I'd spent so much time worrying about small things and not following my heart. I wanted to do something meaningful with the time I had left. I wanted to travel the world and talk with people that were following what they always dreamt of doing. What they were passionate about, and not what the world had told them to be.
1: I really don't want to change the world, I just just want to improve it.
0: I wanted to find people that were striving to be the absolute best.
1: Well, everyone is good at something.
0: These are the stories I found on my five-year journey to make the world's best film.
1: So tell me about the world's best film. When did it... I mean, I know in the film itself you, you, you mention about how this idea kind of came about, but was this toying in your mind prior to, you know, your diagnosis and, and the treatment that you went through? Was this something that was there or was it spurred on because of what happened?
2: Yeah, it's a really great question. I think it was definitely spurred on by what happened to me, but I'm not going to lie. Since I was a kid, I always kind of wanted to make the world's best film that I could. You know, I had this in my mind, I'm going to make the best movie ever. It's going to, it's going to be great. Um, But, but it definitely came from a part in my life six years ago when I, when I was studying to become a solicitor and I realized that possibly I wasn't spending my time on things that mattered to me. And it all kind of came to a head when I received a phone call that changed my life. And I was told by a a doctor on the phone that Josh, you've got a tumor between your lungs and heart. You need to call an ambulance and stop what you're doing and go to the hospital. And everything just stopped and, and stood still. And I was looking around me realizing that this, this isn't where I'm meant to be. And in that moment, I just started thinking about what I wanted to do if I was given a second chance at life, because everything just seems so dire in that moment. And I realized that what I really wanted to do was travel the world and meet as many people as I can and tell as many stories as I can and make the world's best film that I can as well. So, you know, it it all just kind of stemmed back from those childhood dreams that I had to, to be a filmmaker and. Uh, to, to just follow through with the with, with that passion that I had and that I probably wasn't spending enough time on at that time in my life. And there's nothing like a good old shake-up to kind of make you realize that no one's over tomorrow and you might not have the time to do the thing you always wanted to do.
1: Well, let's go back to when you were a kid then, um, not to get all like, this is your life, Ian, all that kind of yeah. stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the the instigating moment that you just, that, like you were like I need to be a filmmaker was there a film was there a person was there something in your life and experience that you walked out of a cinema and said I need to do that
2: yeah 100% I mean the, uh, there were so many moments I mean in middle school it was just simply like ha- my parents making the decision to send me to a school that embraced performing arts and stuff like that and having teachers that believed in something that i had i was very introverted and shy as a kid and i never really wanted to come out of my shell and then all it took was just some teachers believing in me and saying josh you need you need to you've got something to say let's let's hear it and then i just watched so many films as well that just made me go wow there's there's so much to this there's there's so much potential here to inspire people and to you know contribute to a community and and really make something worthwhile and I think, yeah, I, I always wanted to kind of make a mark in some way. And, and I was really drawn to visual storytelling as a way of kind of making that mark. Um, but it was definitely having those those people in my life quite early on that believed in me. I think um, for a long time in my life, I didn't have that as well. So I, I think that really gave me some guidance in, in what I should pursue. Uh, and I actually started out as an actor and, um, you know the, the thing I wanted to do was just you know to be a great actor and what happened is I would do a lot of readings for films and then the films would get stuck in development and I became too old for the character and so I didn't get the roles and so then I started to think well what if I just became the filmmaker and gave myself the roles and then slowly over time I realized that my passion was in directing and 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 really shaping meaning that way.
1: Yeah. Well, that's fair. I mean, I, like I, when I was at university, I was studying to be a teacher and and alongside that doing arts and things like that and did a bit of acting and a little bit of directing. And and, I quickly realized that actually I'm I'm not very good at either of those things, but I sure (laughs) can talk about films. I sure can write about them. And that's where I found my path, at least in being able to go, ah, this is This is how I can interact with the thing that I love, and it's yeah, fascinating absolutely. to hear how you came to that kind of point as well. Like, well,
2: yeah, I, I mean it's a really interesting point. It's really fun to hear about your journey as well because I mean I'm not sure if you had this, but like when I was growing up, I was told, oh you, you can't really do that. you've got to pursue an honest living, you've got to go put bread on the table, you've got to get a respectable profession. Why don't you become a lawyer you know why don't, or why don't you go into you know um, banking or become an accountant or something like that? Um, Did did you have something like that happen as well? Look, I
1: didn't. No. And I find this really fascinating because, um, I mean, my heritage is English and Scottish and, you know, I'm white as they come and and my interactions in talking to uh, my other white friends, and I don't mean to make it about race or anything like that or or, uh, religion or anything, but from my experience talking to them, there was no real push or drive to be like, you must be a teacher or a doctor or you Mm. can't do this, you can't do that. Which I kind of miss not having that kind of push if that makes mm. sense, because having talked talked to some of my Asian friends and they're very much like, no, my parents are like, you need to do this to ensure that you have this kind of future. And like by the sounds of it, for you, you know you, you should become a solicitor because that is going to be a secure future. And for me, there was neither do Mm. this because it's secure or don't do that because it's insecure. There was just Mm. do whatever you want, which sounds nice. Sounds good on paper. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, there's no, uh, there was no way of me pushing back against that to be like, no, Mm. I want to do this or knowing, all right, I should actually do this because it is secure. And so I had to come up with that myself, Um,
0: Mm.
1: which, yeah, I'm kind of envious of people who did have a push to be like, you should be a doctor or you should be a solicitor. Um, Mm. but I imagine that, did you feel envious of the people who would just get to do whatever they want? I think,
2: yeah, I, I think everyone is on a different path and a different journey and has a different set of circumstances. So as much as we all kind of are fighting our own different battles, I don't, I also don't think there's a universal battle as well, because some people just don't just, flat out just don't have the privilege to question what they're doing some people are born into a situation where you know they have a family business and that's what they're going to do and they don't have the luxury of even going to university and stuff like that so I think right at the outset it's important to say I'm so thankful for um, being able to be in a position where you know I chose one path I didn't really fill my heart with endless joy and I decided to pursue a different path having said that I, I like to keep all my doors open as much as possible and a lot of people say oh you know burn your bridges just do one thing but i think that that can also be dangerous especially in the uncertain world we find ourselves in now so i think it's important to kind of as much as possible keep lots of doors open to yourselves and in the same breath of air sometimes i am envious of people that were just told you know you know son i i work as a banker and you know you should go do that too and you're going to make a living, and you'll you'll get a house, and you'll get a a partner, and kids, and a pool, and and a sports car, and all this kind of stuff that you know you're told in this, you know that's the timeline you have to fill. Sometimes I do think about that, and but then I remember that those aren't always the things that I derive happiness and and growth and and satisfaction from. I I get a lot of satisfaction from making things from building a community around the things that I make and for, yeah, making other people excited about those same things as well. That can be really rewarding. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work as a teacher as well. And so facilitating learning is something that I, um, is really caught at my heart as well. So, yeah, I think I am enviable in the same breath, but sometimes I think, you know, you've just got to focus on your own path and your own laneway and you've got to get back to your own life and and question whether you know yourself and then you can kind of make a decision from there.
1: Mm. Well, I think one of the things which I took away from your film is that, you know, we all live, we, we can look at a life and say, you know, somebody reaches 70, 80 years old and, and we don't think about that as a tangible thing. We don't think about being 80 years old as, you know, eight decades or, eight zero years you know 365 days 80 of those like we don't think about that and we're so often you know we're told we live we have six or seven careers in our lives and things like that and and yet so often we're brought up to be like you must do this one thing and as we're just talking about you must follow this one path because you'll be safe and secure and it's a complex beast we want to be safe and secure but we also want to get that Uh, that positive feedback the comfort and and that kind of thing and to me it sounds like you're managing to do that uh, from different perspectives you know doing teaching filmmaking uh, interacting with people that's yeah how important is that for you As um you know that seems to be a core ethos for you like it seems to be what makes up you as a person how important is that
2: Yeah, I think I definitely have to keep an open mind about my position in the world, you know, especially now where a lot of people in the arts industry lost their jobs and and were told that, you know, nothing's going to happen for the rest of the year. So I think a lot of people can relate to that going, okay, well, now I've got to do something else. I've got to do not do the thing that I love. Maybe I've got to do the thing that I need to do. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, there will come a time when you can go back to doing the thing that you love, or there will come a time when you can reconnect with that, that thing that you love doing that possibly you've been putting off. So I think it is, you know, very important to me to, to realize that, you know, there, there is this pursuit to, to make something great, but then there's also the pursuit to make a living, right? You have to, you have to put bread on the table, I guess, and to use a really bad expression that I keep using so no but it's an apt expression
1: I mean it's I think sorry to interrupt you but I think like it's you know we we continue to refer to putting bread on the table because in a lot of ways that is the the cheapest thing that will keep us alive and if we can at least afford a loaf of bread then we stay fed for another day and if if that's the main thing then we can continue on going and that's that's kind of the reductive look at it from my perspective but it is such an apt saying to continue to say because it is like, all right, what's, what's my lowest benchmark that I can continue going and carry on um, as strong as I can. And if it's a life of bread, then so be it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's really interesting just to think about the story of Kurt Fuchs, um, the Austrian Holocaust survivor who's in my film and just knowing that, he was putting bread on the table, literally, you know, every Saturday, but then cutting it up and giving it away to his friends, you know, the geese. So in some ways, I think that was his way of saying, this is this is how I've approached what's happened to me in my life. And that, that you know, he was someone that had gone through so many different changes in his career, in his personal life, what country he lived in. I guess that was his way of having a laugh about it and kind of saying, well, you can't, sometimes you can't take life too seriously and you got to kind of just, you know, throw some stale bread to the birds.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's it as well is that he's, I I saw that as a way of him saying I was less fortunate at one point and recognizing the, you know, that maybe these geese are less fortunate in being able to have food and stuff like that or giving them a, a bit of a lift up. And and I found it really wonderful in a way because it is a person who is looking at all walks of life and saying, we need to lift up and help each other. And that's the common thread throughout all of these people in your story. Um, yeah, I,
2: absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really did blow me away just talking to so many people across the world i mean i filmed this made this film over five years across three continents Mm. 10 countries who's counting and (laughs) and just the the the, just the breadth of experience is just so different i mean just from talking to people like someone bumming cigarettes every day someone running a toilet tour someone being the world's best town planner everyone just kind of had this same view that they were deriving a sense of self from their passions and I thought that was really really lovely but definitely Kurt's story really rung true to me because my family a lot of my family weren't as fortunate in surviving the Holocaust and I had a lot of questions for those family members so it was really an opportunity for me to question someone else's grandfather about their life and the thing that I just loved about Kurt was that he wasn't wallowing in self pity he wasn't wallowing in all the horrible things that had happened to him he was just getting on with his life and having a great time and that was just the most meaningful thing for me as well and it was really important for me to convey a story from someone of that generation that wasn't doom and gloom but it was actually there is life after tragedy there is life after horrible things if you can accept that you may have to change your outlook. Mm.
1: In that regard like how important is it to have, I mean, obviously, as you've just stated, it is it is extremely important to have uh, these kinds of positive stories, uh, especially from Holocaust survivors. But um, from my perspective, at least, the the you know the Holocaust stories in cinema have often been so heavily focused on the tragedy and the trauma, which is understandable. It is a genuinely horrific event. But through his story, we see positivity and hope. And and I'm curious how important that is for you as both somebody whose heritage is tied to that, but also somebody who is telling these stories as a filmmaker. How important it is to to shine a light on these kinds of uh, the positivity after trauma, as you're saying.
2: I think it's it's so important to do that. I mean, Leonard Cohen has that famous quote, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And, and I think that's really appropriate for dealing with any kind of survivor of tragedy. And there's this whole idea of speechlessness as well, being the only way to convey what it would be to move on from tragedy and how to summarise that in art. And there is that history in Holocaust cinema that is very deep and confronting. If you look at a film like Son of Saul, it's a totally different experience um, of of that. My great uncle was actually a Sonderkommando um, and had an experience not unlike that presented in Son of Saul. So for me, that film was very uh, emotional and touching. And and my uncle was one of the only Sonderkommandos that actually survived Auschwitz. And his story has always been something that I've grown up with um, that's fueled me to have hope for doing something with my life and actually spending my time on something worthwhile because so many people in my family weren't that lucky. They, so many people in my family didn't get that chance. So I think for me, having, having these stories of hope and inspiration is so important, especially now more than ever, who could have predicted this, this global pandemic. A lot of people did actually predict it, but where we are now, we're all being told, stop, stay inside, don't do anything. And that's exactly what was told to me. I was told, you know, don't walk upstairs, don't do this. I was told, Josh, if you've got a job, if you're studying, stop everything. And the next few months are going to be quite intense. Um, And so to hear something like that, I mean, all you think about is – the people you're going to leave behind the burden you're going to leave in your absence. And you're also thinking about all the stories, or at least I was, I was thinking about all the films I wanted to make in some weird, weird way. And that's kind of what set me on this path. And I think all the people I met inspired me in their own unique ways.
1: Yeah. How do you, if you don't mind me asking, how do you keep your, your mind sane and um, focused on the, the, positive, I guess, in those moments when you're told, stay inside, don't do anything, stop working, stop studying. And, um, you know, the future is not bright for you. How, how do you personally lift yourself up through that?
2: Yeah, it, it's It's a really challenging thing. And I think it's important that people accept that you are going to have peaks and troughs and you are going to be in a state of wordlessness. You are going to be in a state of melancholy potentially and and I think it's important to say that that's okay and that was really liberating for me just to know that it was okay for me to be miserable um I turned to watching a lot of films to um and a lot of comedy films to to relieve what I was going through and I was very lucky to have friends and family around me as well um to have their support but I think it's important that people know that it's totally fine for them to feel whatever they're feeling in that moment, especially now everyone's a lot of people around the world are feeling this because there will come a time when things will get better. There there will come a time when you will be able to do the thing you want to do. And that's exactly what I had in my head when, when I was going through everything was that if I somehow make it out of this thing, I'm going to head back to Europe where, you know, my, my new family are so to speak, because I'd spent so much time in Europe before when I was, healthier and that really fueled me it was something to look forward to so I think it's important to give yourself something to look forward to something that does fuel you with joy or will fuel you with joy because you will be able to reconnect with that eventually
1: Hmm. yeah I think that's really beautiful um in that with that in mind how did you find these people how did you find their stories and engage with them and approach with approach them to say this is what I want to do how do you yeah
2: yeah It was a very multifaceted approach. Sometimes I'd arrive in a country and I'd just start asking questions and I'd start saying to people I met, hey, look, I'm making this film and I'm looking for people that are doing things that are a little bit left of centre. Who do you know? And someone would say, oh, Josh, you know, there's this man who he's an alternative tailor and he lives in this Romanian Gothic city. I think you should meet him. And I'd say, great, let's get on the train and go. And that's literally how I met the world's best alternative tailor in the film Alexandru. And uh, there was so many stories like this um, throughout. And I think what dawned on me when I was finding these stories is that there was these deep personal links, almost subconsciously, to the people I was meeting. Alexandra being a tailor, my grandparents were tailors. They made uniforms for the Russian army during World War II. So I had this really strange surreal connection to him when I met him and so I think that's probably why we ended up speaking for so many hours about you know things and and transcending language as well I mean I don't I don't speak any Romanian Um, and so I was really reliant on having my good friend Dan uh, there as a translator and um, to help with that but sometimes it was important to me to convey stories from people that were already in my life Um, for example, the musician Gervais Coffey, I'd worked with him over a number of years in television, and I knew that his child was a a music prodigy. And I found this so fascinating because he was told from an early age, he could do something artistic and I really wanted to hear from him. And so it was important for me to bring people like that into the film as well, just so that all the people I I was meeting in the film weren't just complete strangers and then became friends. I, I thought it would be interesting to also have friends that, we go a little bit deeper on and and get to know a little bit more so it was a combination of people that I knew people that I met for the first time when the camera was rolling people that people people told me to speak to because they thought this this person would be a great fit for you Um, like that's how I met Rachel the world's best toilet tour guide I was at a film festival and and someone saw my film about Bjorn the world's best town planner and said Josh I've got a friend I think you need to meet she lives in London though I don't know if that's too far for you I'm like just, just tell me what she does, and if it, it, I've got to, and then, and then she did tell me, and I was like, okay, I, I I've got to go meet this person. So I just met, put the steps in place to, to go meet her, and and her story was was one that was just out of this world. Where people still keep asking me, you know, this, this, this isn't real, is it? And I'm saying, yes, yes, she's really doing this for a living, and this is the thing that fills her endlessly with glee and, and passion. And she's also doing many other things as well, but that's the thing that really fills her heart with joy and i thought that this is just so beautiful that all over the world we do have these people from different walks of life different cultural backgrounds different socioeconomic statuses all just trying to make a life rather than a living
1: yeah the one thing which i took away from her story as well and and a few of the other stories too is that you know society would can would confine her into a box of being abnormal uh, because who on earth wants to be a tour you know a tour guide for toilets and, and things like that what an abnormal weird thing to do And yet you know through the success of it and through how her passion and her you know drive to take people around and show them uh, you know the, the history of toilets and, and things like that and all these different toilets you know society 's perception of what 's abnormal and weird is suddenly blown out of the water it doesn 't exist there 's no in a lot of ways there is no abnormal or weird. It is just what drives you as a passion, what drives you as as something that keeps you encouraged and enlightened yeah. and, and makes you get out of bed in the morning and that 's what i took absolutely from
2: her. She's yeah absolutely i mean yeah. <laughs> she yeah she 's completely delightful and her husband as well and and all the other Lou ladies as well they were all just so passionate about this issue. And I think, I think for them, they have a community around them that loves them endlessly. And I think that's all that matters. Of course, there's always going to be people that mock you for doing something ridiculous. Um, Like Ivar in my film, who's claims to be the world's best banana griller. I mean, a lot of people hear that and they just go, what? And, you know, of course he's not, he's not the Guinness world records world's best griller of bananas. I didn't even know that grilling a bananas was a thing before I met Ivar. So I think it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's always going to be people that don't get it. And there's always going to be people that think what you're doing is strange and abnormal and, and and bizarre, but I don't think that's what I was trying to convey. I'm trying to convey that these people were just doing the thing they loved and they didn't really care what other people thought. And I think for me, that was the most rewarding thing, especially with someone like Rachel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious as well for you, did you try the grilled bananas? Were they good?
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I did. I did try them and they were actually pretty amazing. I had no idea that you could put chocolate and marshmallows and syrup and all kinds of other delightful things inside a banana. I I didn't know that was a thing. And I think the thing that was really special about Eva's story was that that was actually something that his father (laughs) taught him to do and again just from hearing someone else talk about their family i started thinking about all the things i did with my family and then more and more you just realize we're like we are actually all the same like if we're lucky enough to be people that do have a, a, fa- a close family unit we we are all kind of in very similar situations some of us are facing pressures from our families to do something noble or something respectable some people are just getting by and some people are Going camping with their dads and making bananas. <laughs> and that's you know. For me, I was always I uh, was trying to make art with my dad because he's a he's a painter that um, chose to become an accountant um, because you know during the time when he grew up it was the same thing he had to do something that put that got money for the family and but but his whole life he's wanted to be an artist and a painter and so whenever I've been making creative projects he's always you know been involved in those things and sometimes I'll make things with him and. We ended up making stop-motion puppets together for a long time. Um, which was, you know, just kind of father, son, father, son bonding. Oh, thank you. They're, they're, they're weird, kooky creations. Definitely, definitely inspired by a lot of the, the strange, bizarre work of Jan Svankmeyer and Yuji Baro. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly yeah, what the, I the thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: He's, he's, he's been one of my heroes for a long time. And, uh, I actually tried to track him down nine years ago in Prague. It's a long story. It was quite funny, but, uh, I didn't meet him in the end, but I did get inside his private art gallery. Oh, was lovely! Strange, <laughs> it was a strange experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge Jan Svankmeyer fan and um, I haven't brought myself to be able to watch his last film yet because I don't want to... Oh, Insects. Ac- yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't want to accept that it's his last film, you know, it's his his mind is such a delight to see yeah. so yeah
2: I, I contributed to the crowdfunding campaign Same.
1: For that film. i yeah. was, <laughs> I was, I was oh,
0: awesome that's yeah. great <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i i know that there's a little piece of me in that film because of the fact yeah. that i gave money towards it but i just that's it i'm not ready to approach it yet because it's yeah um it's I don't once, know, it's once like, you watch
2: it it's uh there's
0: no more
1: there is no more yeah and that, and that's the thing nah. it's like I guess for me, like, you know, not to make it about me, but it's like having those kinds of icons and those films that I haven't seen or the things that I haven't done that are like the thing that helps me get up in the morning. I haven't seen, uh, you know, all these classic films or certain films and things like that. And it's like, all right, maybe I'm not going to do it today, but maybe tomorrow. And that's my drive. And it's clear from from this film and, and from talking to you as well that your drive is so inherently tied to your heritage your family and also trying to inject um not not so much positivity but um calm and and peace and a little bit of hope into society and that's what i got from you interacting with all of these people
2: um yeah thank you so much for saying that yeah i I think um yeah
1: yeah no you, you go you go yeah
2: No, no. uh, Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's so important. Uh, it was so important for me to just kind of reach this kind of state of calm with everything that, that was happening to me because, you know, anxiety and panic are all pretty natural things when you're undergoing trauma. Um, or if, you know, something traumatic is happening around you. And I think it's a lot of it just becomes about how you change your thinking in those moments and, and what you choose to focus on and, and what you try and, kind of zone out from but I think it's important to remember that those thoughts are there and and those things that are happening to you are there and you can't change it you have to focus on things that you can't that you can change and the things that you do have control over without this sounding like a motivational speech now um because no but, you know, but sometimes... what you're
1: saying is is true like it, it's true so yeah. it's I, I I reject the notion mm. that it's a motivational speech because we do need to mm. hear it so can, continue yeah. on yeah yeah
2: no thank thank you for saying that so
0: Yeah. I think that, that
2: was the biggest thing for me. And so also it became less about me finding people in the, in the film and in the making of the film that did experience the same trauma I had because I wasn't really interested in that. I, I I know what that, that felt like. And I do, I, I do have a lot of other friends that have undergone similar experiences with tumors and things like that. So I, I did know about that. The things I didn't know about were, were the, with other people around the world that had totally different cultural backgrounds to me, that had totally different family experiences to me. Um, those are the people I wanted to meet. For example, Narong Surrat in Thailand. I mean, he, he, he's this man who has this gift-giving cycle and this bizarre taxi that he owns that is covered in all kinds of trinkets and figurines and things. And you see this thing driving down the streets of Bangkok and you're like, what on earth is that? And then you go inside and you realize that everything inside the taxi is for free. And if you give him a tip, he'll go and buy something new for the taxi for the next guest and to be invited into this man's home to see his, you know, very tiny apartment where he sleeps and eats on the same floor with his wife was just, just, just blew me away. Here's this man with so little giving back so much more and then why is he doing it? Well, because the, the community fills him with happiness and he gets something from it. And that was a message that transcended language. I didn't speak any Thai at all. I was making a film purely based on emotion, body language and tone. And again, it was just an experience that blew me away. Just just going, here's, here's a man with a completely different experience to me. Uh, I think it's important to show that, to, to show that, you know, whatever walk of life you come from, you and he, you can do what you love, and he absolutely adored doing that. Um, the the one sad thing about his story is, I'm not sure if he's still doing it now, because I think his taxi was so old, um, and he talks about that in the film. That I, I'm sad to say, I don't think the taxi's still running. So, um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for people to somehow support him.
1: Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, but, but I get the feeling yeah. that even if his taxi wasn't running, he would find another avenue. To continue on doing that, you know? yeah, that's and, right. I mean, yeah. we can.
2: We, I, I can only hope that he's still kind of doing something like that. He's a very hard um, fella to track down. I've had friends in Thailand trying to find him because um, obviously, when I think once his taxi broke down, he changed his number and all this kind of stuff. So, um, if Narong is somewhere out there and he's got someone translating this interview, um, we want to hear from you, Narong. So, yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, but please get uh, in touch. Yeah. yeah. So after all of this after all this huge journey and and talking to all these people and over the years and now the the film is complete and out there for for people to watch at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival I'm curious for you where you stand in your life now what did you gain from this film and what have you what is in your mind looking forward
2: Yeah absolutely I think from where I'm standing now or sitting I I'm really just reflecting on this whole journey and and kind of working out what that means for my future practice. Obviously, I want to keep making more engaging, awesome films. Maybe I'll make the world's second best film. Um, I don't don't know about that. But I'm still making a lot of stuff. I'm involved in a, a very exciting international video diary collaboration project, which I'm hoping will be announced soon. And I'm. I also was invited to start studying a PhD as a result of my film. Oh, and so that's been, Yeah, thank you. So that's that's um that's been an amazing journey as well, just of new knowledge and and information. And I've really gained a, a deep satisfaction from just reflecting on where I've come from and where I'm going now. But I want to keep making a lot of personal driven films and choosing stories that do have really notable things that I think people need to know about and, and hear about. So uh, for me, it's, it's, it's less about, you know, I'm going to make documentaries or narrative films. It's more about what, what's the story I want to tell next and and really going from there and from where I am, you know, now in terms of law and everything, I, I think I still have a passion for the law. I still have a passion for wanting to help people. And I think that's what drew me to law in the first place, I was always inspired by my mother, who's a social worker and, and, and tries to create change and, and, and some good things in different communities. So I think that was my own way of trying to do that. And now I've kind of gone, well, my skill sets in filmmaking, and that's maybe what I should keep keep pursuing. And, and that's definitely the thing that makes me get up in the morning. And And I definitely still have that fire inside me to keep creating things so i'm really excited to just keep building communities around my work and and trying to bring everyone on the journey with me
1: Mm. and i think uh, you know going forward as as you touched on before you know given the current state of the arts in australia that that community support and the community building from within the community itself is is vital um it's absolutely vital. vital and you know, I, and that's one of the things which I thought was quite touching about your intro to the film as well, um, for people who are watching at Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. You know, just touching on the the importance of having of supporting Australian content, Australian films, and Australian artists. It doesn't have to be yeah. an Australian film, but something Australian. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, supporting other Australian independent artists is so important, especially now with all of the without getting too political, without all the cuts that are happening. No, and,
1: be political and, and, as you want. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I am furious. I am yeah,
2: yeah it's, I, I mean, look, if, if I wasn't able to go to uni and study arts law, I, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. I wouldn't have been able to make the observations I made around the world. I, I wouldn't have been able to follow through with, with much at all. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't study those degrees, which are now being made much more expensive but i think it's important that people know that just because something is more expensive in that way that they shouldn't actually let that they should find a way to do it anyway i think that they should really just say no this is not going to stop me because i know in my heart this is the thing i want to do so i'm going to do it anyway i think that's it that's important for people as well they might not be that lucky though and i'm completely understand that as well so it's that everyone's been put in a really difficult position in that way and I think also our arts industry in this country as well is is floundering under the pandemic, and uh, I think the support of our fellow artists and and voices in the community is so important now more than ever. So um, I'm endlessly thankful of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival for programming the film, also uh, Revelation in Perth, I also moved moved online. So you know, and they've programmed the film. So I'm just endlessly chuffed um, that that's happening because programming a film in a pandemic has proved very challenging so many festivals and cinema screens have been cancelled around the around the world all of them so i mean i'm just really hoping that that we can start to get back to some kind of new normal in inverted commas and that people can start enjoy going to the cinema again but hopefully you know if people are missing traveling traveling the world my film allows you to travel to 10 different countries from the comfort of your your living room, or wherever you're watching your TV, so you know you can go on a journey that way.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and you know certainly you know maybe people can order some food from a local restaurant that's featured in the film or something like that. Um, that might you know have some Thai or or have something from yeah Europe totally. Um, you know, <laughs> make it a, a it, really truly multicultural affair, and that's and, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all yeah.
2: about that. That yeah, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Yeah, yeah well josh i've I've really enjoyed talking to you and experiencing um your perspective on life, your perspective on art and and your perspective on family as well um that's that's been quite a refreshing thing to hear somebody who is so in tune with their heritage and understanding of you know your place in the world today because of what's gone in your own past your your family's past and that informs you as an individual and I think that's really important that People need to kind of reflect on that quite a bit because, you know, I've, I've had my personal um, mind changed a few weeks ago. I did an interview with Taryn Lafar, who's a, um, a producer, and, you know, she mentioned something about I, I was quite dismissive in a statement that I said, and she was like, no, 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 don't forget that, you know, your heritage has all of this you're being dismissive just because of this look into your Mm. own heritage and you'll find your own past. And I was like, yeah, well, of course, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, thank you
2: so much for saying that Andrew. Yeah. I I think it's, I, I I completely agree with her that I think no one should, should feel um, this kind of shame because of, their own background or anything like that i think there's 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 an endless opportunity for growth from reflecting on your history and and that doesn't have to dictate who you are as a person now or who you're going to be in the future so i think anyone that has thought to themselves oh you know i've i've been a pretty bad person in this way well do something about it you can change it you're not you're not locked into anything um cer- certain people's circumstances might might affect that But, and of course you can't, you actually can't speak for everyone, but I I do believe that people have the power to, to see change from within themselves and, and, and they can make the difference that they want and they can pursue the passion that they want to pursue. And even if there's people that have told them, no, don't do that or no, you can't do that. Yes, you can. And I think that's really important for people to know.
1: This director, Joshua Bellinfonte talking about his documentary, The World's Best Film, which you can find out more information about by heading over to the website, theworldsbestfilm.com, or alternatively, checking out the film via Revelation Film Festival, revelationfilmfest.org, or Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, mdff.org.au. They're both on there for a limited time and well worthwhile seeking out. For me, you can head over to the website thecurb.com.au to hear listen to other interviews, read reviews, and, and other pieces there as well from myself and other writers on the website, and you can also head over to Facebook and Twitter and follow us there, The Curb AU. And if you want to go the extra step, you can always do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash The Curb AU, and for as little as a dollar a month, helps keep the website going. I hope that you're all staying safe and sound and looking after each other and wearing masks when you go out and socially distancing and all that kind of stuff and uh, being kind to each other as well. Uh, We all kind of need that and I think this film really shows the importance of being kind and uh, looking for the positive and the good in each other and in the world and embracing it completely. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you on the next one. Bye guys.
0: Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help
2: you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Pressed 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.